Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. They ministered unto the Lord. Acts 13, please. I'm just going to read four verses of scripture, one to four. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Let's pray. Father, let us see the power that's behind the text. Let us see the direction behind the text, Father God. Let us see the thanksgiving, the joy, the gratitude, the praise behind the text, Father God. Let us see the Spirit at work in the text, Father God, as both word and spirit point us to the mission and commission in the work of Jesus Christ in our life and in our local churches, Father God. Open up our eyes that we can see a bigger picture, that there are times we need to sail off to distant lands to carry the message, Father God, or just to distant people who are right next to us, God. Help us, Father God, to be led always by the Spirit as we pray and we fast and we worship you, Father God. Bring us into a greater intimacy with you, for only in you is our power to live this life out, Father God. And I pray that everyone in this room today take a spiritual evaluation of where they stand when it comes to the power of the Spirit in their life, when it comes to the power of worship in their life, and the power of obedience, Father God. Open up our minds, we ask, Holy Spirit, to the teachings of Scripture. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Uh-huh. Oh, thought I lost my son. Let me open up with a reading from Psychology Today. Psychology today. Is it important for athletes to have fun? Any athletes in the room? I see a couple of hands, all right. Yes, your hands should be up. Okay. We're not the most athletic crew, but I think the analogy will work. I see another hand raised back there. I see a couple of people sleeping. I guess they're working on something, on some kind of new strategy for the gym. Is it important for athletes to have fun? That's the question. Coaches consider the strategies to promote athletic enjoyment. These are professional athletes. As the level of professionalism in sports continue to grow, the stress level of the athletes experience or the stress levels that athletes experience also increase due to the widespread importance placed on success, generally measured by the outcome. Whilst it can be argued that the outcome is most important at elite levels of competition, a win-first mentality has permeated throughout various age groups and has led to the establishment of an environment that can be extremely stressful and unenjoyable for the athletes involved. 
It seems logical that creating a fun environment would likely to enhance enjoyment levels, but in addition to this, it appears that coach-athlete interactions and integrating activities that athletes perceive as enjoyable may also have a positive impact on preparation and ultimately their performance. Preparing fully in any context is difficult to do if we were not enjoying that journey that we are on. I hope you're perceiving where I'm going on this. When we are experiencing an element of pleasure, we tend to push ourselves harder, focus more, and have a greater overall sense of satisfaction. That's what's going on in our text. The element of enjoying their God in stressful situations is an element that's in our text. You might not see it yet. I'll try to do it the best I can to bring it out. And how our joy in the Christian life and the Christian journey as the athlete's journey is found not just in a performance mentality, but in an enjoyment mentality. And that's why we changed the order of service as I thought about this this week and even more today as I was worshiping God and how our strength is found in our worship of God. Our opening song was waiting upon the Lord, Isaiah chapter 40. Very famous verse of scripture that those who wait upon the Lord shall what? What does that mean, waiting upon the Lord? Are you just sitting there waiting to be zapped, hit over the head, run over by a car, someone to lay hands on you, resurrect you from the dead? No. You wait on what God has said in his word. You hold up the Bible with its promise and you're saying, God, I've taken a promise that you'd never leave me nor forsake me. And I'm waiting upon you. Life is stressful. Family is stressful. Ministry is stressful. The future could look dim. I'm focused on everything but you. And I'm weak. But as I wait upon you and your promises, as I worship you, no matter what's going on in life, I feel like you're renewing my strength. And my fear, I'll come out and tell you right now, Christians don't know how to wait upon the Lord and neither do they know how to worship God. They're struggling. Because we're falling into the performance success aspect of the athlete. But we're carrying it over into Christ. We're human and we're frail and Christ meets us in our, all our humanity. Please understand, we worship and we find strength by sheer grace, and that is it. That's it. The only reason you will qualify to worship the Lord today and receive hope and a new, new sense of feeling and love for God is because of grace, not how wonderful you are this week. It's important to understand that because of that conscience get heavy and then we, we get into this performance. Has anybody ever done that with the Lord? Have you ever find yourself, oh, I failed again, and I failed? Of course you failed again, and I'm going to fail it, but if I concentrate on that, I can tell you where you're going to be next week. I failed again. And guess who will be there for you? The point is this. Spiritual strength is found in worshiping God. It really is. I'm coming to you as a pastor. I love you. I love what the Lord has done for us. And too often we can find ourselves trying to outrun our sin. Anybody ever done that? Trying to outrun 
weakness. Try and never let it to happen. Uh, Like our athletes, it's a peer pressure that comes upon us. It's, it's too much to bear, please. You could never do it. You can't even live under the law of God. You can't live under your own expectations. It's upon waiting on the Lord and learning how to minister to the Lord, learning how to worship God, learning how to focus on Him, really to concentrate on Him. And then what happens, you find this inner strength that you cannot just survive the Christian life. But you can really thrive. You know, you might actually enjoy being a Christian. You really might enjoy saying, no, I like this. I, you know, I like to talk to people about God. This is a wonderful thing. How about that? I like to talk to people I hate God and I have no animosity towards them at all. Isn't this a great novel idea? Isn't this wonderful to love our neighbor as ourselves? Isn't this wonderful to turn the other cheek? This is where strength is found. And as a pastor, I'm concerned that many Christians fall short. Stay there. Don't go anywhere. And the congregation better hope there's a tissue here. Otherwise, snot is going to run down my nose. Isn't that nice? I wouldn't say that in someone else's pulpit. For here, I don't mind. That's why I'm excited. I'm just freshly reminded of how awesome Jesus Christ is. How much we need him on a daily basis. How way ahead of our failures and weaknesses he is. How way, way ahead. And how he is beckoning us and calling us at all times to come and worship him and never fall under a performance-based religiosity. Which is so easy to do when we're focused on the continual work that's needed in our life. Is it continued work? Who in here doesn't have continued work? Who in here doesn't need a miracle in their character, in their conduct, in their hope, and how they deal with interpersonal relationships? Here, who, who doesn't need help? But where's that strength really going to be found? Jesus. Trying hard. Well, you know, Brother Brian, I need patience. Okay, go out and try to be patient. Go ahead. You'll blow up. And you'll be miserable. I need self-control. Go out and try to find self-control. In the midst of the storm. You know what self-control is like morally? You know what it's like? That's like starving. Really hungry. And you're walking by a burger king. You can smell the fruit. You can't say no. And you know like the, the organic health food store is like 20 miles away. You really want to go to me, you just you can't make it. That's how a temptation is when you're weak and you, you need self-control. You just can't muscle it out. You're overtaken by a hunger and you're overtaken by a weakness that you have. You, you can't muscle it up. But when we're worshiping, we're a genuine worship community. When I am a genuine worship disciple, I find an inner strength to meet every need I have. Amen. That's where it's found. Forgive me if I get excited. I just, I happen to love God. I don't know. know. Maybe I'm crazy. That's the activity we see going on here today. They're ministering on the Lord. There's a lot going on in this text. But the nucleus is that they weren't sitting at the bar or they weren't in the gym or they weren't hanging out and the Lord spoke to them to now go into the work I've called you to do. It was found in a worship 
Context. And that's why, that's where the Spirit does His greatest work. I've come to the conclusion that is what's happening here with these four men and possibly the whole church. This is a real, genuine, worshiping God church. They love the Lord. They love the minister on to the Lord. And I'll get into the text in a moment. This is the pinnacle spiritual activity of the life of the church. Between the preaching and the teaching of the word and worshiping God and ministering on to the Lord. And I'll, I'll teach on that in a moment. This is what brings the vital spirit's life into our lives. The life of the leadership and the life of any individual Christian. The strength for effective ministry is found in our worship of God. You want to live an effective Christian life? It's found in your worship of God, the strength you need. You want to be a husband and a wife of an effective Christian family? It is found in the worship of God. You want to be a self-controlled Christian man, a Christian woman who walks in all the fruit of the Spirit? It's not found in itemizing the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't come and give one thing. The Spirit gives it all at one time. It's the fruit, not the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit. Come one, come all. But it's found in worship. Let me paraphrase what's going on over here. I'm just going to really highlight. I'm going to probably preach out of these four verses for at least two, maybe three weeks. But I really wanted to nail this principle of what's taking place here tonight. So I'll give a paraphrase and then I'll go into some thoughts. One day, after Barnabas text Paul, hey Paul, what are you guys doing tomorrow? How about we get together and Minister unto the Lord. Paul texts back, I'm in. Paul emails Simeon. Simeon Instagrams Menean. They all meet to minister unto the Lord one Saturday morning. To pour out their heart and gratitude for what Christ has done for them. And for no other reason. To thank him for being faithful to all his promises of the Old Testament. And the giving of a new life today. While they were engaged in this wonderful experience of grace and worship of God, God began to speak to them in concerning specific promises he had made to them. They realized it was now time to move forward into formal missionary work. The church in Antioch had become strong enough spiritually to be self-sufficient and were able to let these teachers and prophets go and are now able to support themselves spiritually and at the same time support them, the team financially On the mission trail. When it was all said and done. Everyone in the church could see that the Holy Spirit was behind the whole thing. There was such ease and fluidity about the whole matter. That it was hard to see that it was not the Lord's will. Did you miss it? We can really spiritualize this. But the emphasis is on the work of the Holy Spirit. Working through the life of the local church. I'll speak about that next week. And the importance of that. But for tonight, I really want to speak on this verse on ministering unto the Lord. Do you know it gets very little airtime? I'm a big reader. I read much before I prepare, as I'm preparing, 
and very little is said on they ministered or they were worshiping the Lord of their uh, fasting and prayer. Very little commentary because really Acts 13 historically is a new movement now. Peter's ministry is basically you're not going to see much of it anymore. From now on it's the Apostle Paul, Barnabas and some others going into the Gentile world. The Great Commission is taking place. The promise of Abraham that all the nations would be blessed it's going to happen now. They're right on the seashore. They're ready to go. Because God has called them to do it. But Paul already knew this. Remember chapter 9 when the apostle Paul had his, his he, he saw the Lord. And now we're in chapter 13. How many years that is? How many years has transpired? Probably about 15. 15 years. Twelve of those years, Paul was in this little church, Antioch, ministering unto God's people. And now he's finally called to go into the mission field. Fifteen years. I'll speak more about how God prepares us for the call specifically on our life next week. But that gets all the commentary. But what they're really missing and I'm, I'm quite taken back on it, is that it's all found in the context of worshiping and ministering unto the Lord. But these guys knew how to worship Christ. They really knew how to, please don't miss it. They didn't come into church saying, oh, another day i got to go to church. They couldn't wait to get to church and worship God. Nothing was going to stop them from getting together that day and worshiping unto the Lord, ministering unto the Lord. When we look behind the scene, it's a beautiful picture of New Testament religion. Something we need to get back to personally. Corporately, we have it here. But personally, people really, really need to realize what it means, and I'll, I'll explain what it means to minister unto the Lord from a New Testament context. We have a group of men from different and diverse backgrounds. There's four men mentioned. Brought together by Christ's redemption. This is the quintessential expression of their faith in God. Four totally different men from different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, religious backgrounds. Uh, ethnicity is different. Ge- geographically, they're different. Their languages was different. But yet they all come together in this local church and called to be leaders of the local church. Either prophets or teachers or probably both. And here they are worshiping God. What a great and grand picture. I mean, did you ever realize, please, if you want to learn to worship Christ, take a look around when worship goes on. My back is turned towards everybody, but sometimes I won't sing and I'll listen to the voices. So I want to hear the different voices expressing their love for Christ. I'm privileged as a pastor to know most of the people in here and some of their backgrounds. And I know what God has done in your life and what God is doing right now and what kind of hope you're holding on to. And when you worship, that's what you worship out of. Not some cold and callous, I got to go to Sunday service and sing three or four songs. There's an eagerness to worship God in our text tonight. A free and deliberate, voluntary, selfish, selfless act of coming. And God wants to hear our hearts. 
That's why I asked, let's go into four songs today and let's, let's worship God and, and to understand that God desires, when we worship God with gratitude and thanksgiving, we're ministering unto Him. The Bible calls it a sweet fragrance. Like a love offering or a, a thanksgiving offering in the Old Testament was called sweet unto the Lord. God inhabits the praises of his people. And it's hard to genuinely praise God and not stop praying. And there's times when you're genuinely praying to God and you can't stop praising him. There is this spontaneous reaction between praise and prayer and prayer and praise and getting our focus on God and not on ourselves. Let me encourage yourself. Do you know in most church that's a learned behavior? How to worship is a learned behavior. I remember just how self-conscious I was when worship first started, when the song part of worship came on. How I, 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 inside my heart was screaming for joy. Screaming, but I was so scared that someone might see me lift up my hands. So I gave it this one first. I don't want that. And I go like this. We come from a church that was very demonstrous in their love for God and their worship. And I remember sitting there and this gentleman was dancing around. Dancing around. Twirling with flair. Six, seven. 120 pounds soaking wet. With a pink afro. Dancing around. Free from the bondage of 30 years of homosexuality. Dancing around. With his flags. Dancing. My heart was leaping. That's ministering onto the Lord. When you're lifting your hands and you're worshiping God, are you doing it for what he's really done for you? Are you separating worship from what he has done? What he's doing actively right now into securing your future that you cannot see. How he's doing everything he can to answer the prayers according to his will that might take 5, 10, 20 years to answer, but he's positively at work to do that. Are you worshiping God? For what he has done and what he's promised to do. Paul is worshiping onto God because of the promise he has in his heart that the Gentile mission would one day come. And for 15 years he served God as a local pastor. But knowing all along he was called to be an apostle to the Gentile. But would not outrun God. And he waited faithfully and he served God and he served God's people. As he got older and he got grayer. But yet he showed up and he worshipped God and he served God's people. All along he knew the day would come. He was going to be called out of that local assembly and sent into the mission field. I think... It's a powerful text that just gets lost in a curious reading of the book of Acts or any other New Testament. 
letter or epistle or book, the power that's here is just missed. And I pray that I can do some kind of justice to show you just how important it is and the joy and and the spiritual dividends and benefits that come from being a worshiper of God. This word minister or worship semantic, it's a priestly spiritual language. It's found in the Old Testament and it's always applied to the Levitical priesthood. Do you know why? Because only the Levitical priesthood, specifically the high priest, could minister to the Lord. That's all. If anybody else would try, it would be called strange fire. And guess what happened to them? Dead. Killed by God. Don't offer me strange fire in the Old Testament. But this language goes all the way back to somewhere else. It goes back to Adam and Eve when they were called to keep the garden. It's the same word. It's the same priestly language. The garden was a sanctuary where God met man. And man worshipped God through a vocation of keeping and toiling in the garden. But you know how it applies to you and me today? Listen to Second, First Peter chapter 2. Actually, put it up there. Read it for a second, I'll have a glass of water. As you come to him, God, a living stone, Peter says, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, not the Levites anymore, not just Adam and Eve anymore, but you and me are a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say, who called us out of darkness and into light. This is the activity that keeps joy. It keeps it fresh. Whatever we do as Christians, we can be ministers. The reason I can come in week in and week out, day in and day out, dealing with everything I possibly can to the best I can through the gifts that God has given me, with the strength of the people around me, to continually do it on a conscious, consistent basis, can only be found in the worship of God. Not even in the call. If you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be called to it. But before you get called, as Paul was called to be an apostle, he was a bondservant and a worshiper of God. He was an apostle second. Maybe even third. You want to be a worker in a church? You want to be someone who witnesses on the street? You want to be a leader in a church? You want to be an elder? You want to be a good husband? You want to be a good wife? You want to have a good family? It has to be steeped in the worship of God. It has to be accompanied by prayer, praise, and sometimes fasting. I'll speak about that next week. It's the secret to effective ministry. I'll tell you right now, it's the secret to effective life. I'll tell anybody in this room right now, what's the failure in your life? 
What's your conscience really beating you on? What's your best friend? What's your spouse telling you? What's your pastor telling you? What is it? What is it? The answer to that is found in your personal worship to God. Otherwise, it's going to be this. I did it again. I did it again. The same answer. The principle of grace is applied. And that reestablishes the relationship. But we're about moving forward. How am I going to change? Where's the strength going to come from? How's a leopard going to change its spots? It's easier for a leopard to change its spots than a sinner to change its character. We don't change without the presence of God. And what about ministry? You want to really be good at ministry? You want to, everybody's a minister in this room. Don't you want your loved ones to be saved? Tell me if you want your loved ones to be saved. You're a minister, all right? You want your friends to be saved? You're a minister. You care, you have compassion for other human beings? You're a minister of the gospel. You want to be effective in that, or you want to be unaffected? You want to be downcast in that, or you want to continue to be happily motivated and joyful no matter what you see? you got to be a worshiper of God. you got to know how to bask in His presence, to bask in His hope, to feel the genuine power of God as you're worshiping. And He washes away hopelessness and failures, and He keeps your focus on the positive attributes of the gospel and what a promise in, in our life. Is anybody in this room weak? I mean, are you tired? Are you laboring? Do you feel like life is laboring sometimes? Do you feel like work is laboring? Marriage is laboring? The children are laboring? Everything is just wearing me down. I can't take it another moment. This is why. Because you can't take it another moment. But with God, you can do it and not just survive like you barely got your head out of water. You can really thrive. As Jesus says, when you fast, don't walk around with your eyes hanging down and drooping. Anoint your head with oil. Lift up your head. Have joy in what you do for God. Have joy in what you do for God. And this is why. There is nothing more challenging than living for Jesus Christ in this world. There's nothing more. So before I go into this a little bit, the positive and negative attitudes in Christian worship the positive and negative attitudes in Christian worship and Christian life. What are you focusing on? Think about it. What grabs most of your attention? Is it the wonderful gospel of Christ that's there to forgive you every sin, every time, every moment, everywhere, any place? Are you focusing on that? Are you focusing on that thing called the throne of grace? We could run to at any time to receive mercy and grace. We sung it today, arise fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. Or you're thinking about how you did it again. How am I going to get out of it? Are you trying to troubleshoot in your mind with your great powers of the sermon? How I can get out of this? How I get in? I can do this? I'm juggling all these answers. I'm juggling all these opinions to find myself doing it again and doing it again and doing it again. Or am I going to the God with thanksgiving and gratitude, with praise and prayer and tears in my eyes? Where do you think the power is found? You think the power is found in God, I can do it? Or God, I can't do it. I'm a freaking mess. 
Am I speaking life to anyone in this room? Christ came for the sick, right? In one sense, we're not sick anymore. But in another sense, we're always sick. We always need Christ. There's there's grace for salvation, and then there's grace for sanctification. The grace for salvation comes by faith. Guess where the, 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 the grace for sanctification comes from? Holy Spirit. Come by faith. Nothing's changed. I receive salvation in the Spirit by faith. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith, Paul says? What do you think is going to change your life? Faith in what Christ has done, what Christ has promised to do, what Christ is doing right now as your high priest. Personalize the gospel. Please, personalize prayer. Personalize praise. Personalize thanksgiving. Don't hear it from the pastor. Don't hear it from the worship leader. Don't hear it from the teacher of the Bible. Do it yourself. Own it. Wake up and put on the gaiters, brothers. Wake up and put on a joyful song. Get up and worship God. Dust yourself forth. Do what David did. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. At the worst time of his life in ministry, David strengthened himself in everybody abandoned him. He made a one a rookie mistake. Hopefully you know the text. I don't want to get into it. But he strengthened himself in the Lord, the Bible says. All his best friends turned against him. And all it says, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. How much time are we spending focused on the problem? Instead of worshiping he who fixes the problem. How's your prayer life? How's your praise life? I'm going to ask you a genuine question. Tell me, how much did you joyfully praise Christ this week? How many times did you say, thank you for my life? Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my job. Thank you for the hope of a new job. Thank you for the hope of a new life. When did you just focus on him and all his promises that he'll never leave you, nor would he forsake you? When did you focus that you're more than a conqueror? When did you focus that nothing can separate you? When did you focus on this one promise of God that if he did not spare his son, how will he not now give you all things in Christ Jesus? How could you read Romans chapter 8 and not come out on fire for God? How can you read the promise of a God and not be hopeful and peaceful? The chant, you can't. But what are you focused on? When we come to God, we can't come to God and doubt. We've got to come by faith, as James says, and do not doubt. There are times when we're preparing sermons, and John could tell you, that it will take a turn. And for me, this message took a turn. And I realize as I'm preparing a message, and I can hear God saying, to my heart, no, no, no words. It's a pastor's heart. It's like a, it's like a mother or a father. You know your children. You don't need a word from the Lord to know you something's wrong with your child when they come home from school downcast. I don't need to pray and fast. What's wrong? You know something's wrong. So it is for a pastor. When God's getting our attention, say, 
Your people need this. This is strength. This is where your strength, hope, and future lie. Ministering unto the Lord. Could you imagine this worship group? Say this is for it could be the whole church, or it could be just these four leaders. You got Paul, the converted Pharisee and Christian murderer, okay, in this corner. The possible. Over here you have a man named Menean. You know who he was? You see that little excerpt it says he was a friend of Herod the Tetrarch. He was an adopted son of the man who killed John the Baptist. They grew up in the same aristocratic environment. They were nurtured in the best of schools, in the best of environments, together. And yet, one goes on to kill the forerunner of Christ, and the other one is a worshiper of Christ. Think about this crew. you got Paul who murders Christians. you got another aristocrat, wealthy, intelligent, informed, a friend of, the, of Herod the Patriarch, who kills John the Baptist. Don't, don't miss this. There are two of them together. They're with Simeon, who most likely his nickname was, or his second name was Niger, or nigger. I don't say that in any derogatory way. It just basically means he was a black man. That's all it means. He was an African. Think about this church. Think about the beauty of this church. Then you got the Cyrene there. Lucian, the Cyrene. And you've got this multi-ethnicity, cultural backgrounds. All this, Paul, like, God, you forgave me. It was me who killed Stephen. I, it was me. They, they stoned him because of me. I thank you, oh God, for the promises that you'll never leave me, that you would never forsake me, and that you would take my sins and throw them as far as from the east as from the west. That's what they were all doing. They were all worshiping God for what God had done in their heart. They were called out of their own personal darkness and into the light. And why? To proclaim the excellencies of him who died and rose again on their behalf. And why? They're all priests unto God now. And so are you and I. I share when I'm worshiping. Rarely do I worship. Rarely do I worship. And my whole life does not go before me. Rarely. Ever. I can see when I was 8 to 12, 14. I can see the terrible years. You know when you have terrible twos? I had terrible 12 to 22. 20, 10 years. Terrible. And that whole thing. I see God's grace. All my self-inflicted wounds where I should not be here today. And not just thriving in life because of his grace, but totally forgiven for all eternity. I think about the people in my life, the friends in my life, the family in my life. I think about every person that's ever helped me. All the kindness even of strangers that have met my needs. Thank God for my wife. Thank God for my wife's family. So my wife's family, I really sensed and understood what family life and this family dynamic was like. I can go on and I can go on and I can go on. But that's part of my worship. I'm not just looking at a screen, singing songs. The songs bring me into worship of Almighty God. 
you know, I share all this because otherwise we're just going to read this text and we're going to watch some supernatural stuff. Go home and read chapter 13 tonight. Go home, read 13 and see what happens on this missionary endeavor of Paul in just one chapter. Read every verse. And this is why it's qualified that they were worshiping and they were sent out by the Spirit. You know who else did that? You know who wrote Acts, right, Luke? You know what Luke also says in in Luke chapter 3? That Jesus was led into the wilderness by the And he came out of the wilderness in the power of the... But before he went into the wilderness, he was praying. What a trifecta. Prayer. Praise. Power. I want to do the best I could for you to see this for yourself of this context of genuinely being a worshiper of God. Me and John talk much about church service and there's a concern we both have. Please hear the heart of two pastors. We're concerned that when worship, the song part that really elevates our spirit, it's a commandment to worship God. Enjoy. That many people are just indifferent in their worship. Someone's sitting down, body language says anything but I'm worshiping Almighty God. People looking at their clocks, they're texting, they're going to the bathroom. The worship is going on. Everybody's doing everything else but worshiping God. We're concerned for that. That concerns me. You know why? Because you're always going to be like that. I'm speaking out of context now. I'm speaking. Just as a pastor who loves you, you have to come in the room prepared to minister and worship unto the Lord. Bring your heart that's been saved from the darkness and brought into the light. Take salvation and everything he's done for you serious. Let it live in you. We're just coming through this room ready for, to hear the prayers and the exhortation, ready to say the creed, ready to hear the music go up, ready to minister unto the Lord. The Lord wants to hear the gratitude of your heart. Do you know you have nothing to offer God but Christ? Do you know that? Do you know people are going to religion now and they think they're doing something for God? All of a sudden they become great givers to the church and they're buying pews and they're doing cathedrals. God can care less. He wants your heart. It's a broken spirit and a contrite heart and only a broken spirit and a contrite heart that can ever be genuinely thankful and grateful to God for Jesus Christ. The self-sufficient man could never worship God. Never worship God. Never praise God. You'll never hear a hallelujah come out of the self-sufficient independent man. Only those who are born again because of this. That's it. There's power in the praise. There's power in the prayer. There's power in the worship. That's what God wants. There's something transforming that happens there. And I'll speak more about this next week. That if you're going to do anything good in God, it's got to be drenched. 
in this principle. Jesus says you're trying to cast out demons, but you can't cast these out without prayer and fasting. What does that mean? Pastor, there's someone who's demon-possessed. Oh, let me pray and fast with John for a week and I'll come down. That's not what it means. It's a life. It's a lifestyle. I'll speak about fasting next week. But it's a lifestyle of praying and coming to God with a serious heart and tone that prepares us to meet any demon that we meet out there. It prepares us to meet the hard cases of life and the hard situations. I'll speak about Paul next week, but just to think, I don't want you to miss this. Paul probably waited somewhere between 12 and 15 years to hear this. He was called in Acts chapter 9 to be an apostle. You will go to the Gentiles. You will stand before kings and queens and you will know what it means to suffer for my name. Paul knew that when he stepped out, he was going to a sure death. Paul knew when he stepped out, he was going to go to floggings and mockings and scornings and stoning and shipwrecks. He was fully aware that up until this point, he probably had not suffered all the suffering we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Go home and read it. Find out about this man. Up until this point, he was a local minister and he got slapped around, you can rest assured, but the worst was waiting for him. And if you think ministry is easy, let me tell you something. Sometimes the worst is waiting for us. And we've got to be prepared. Life can throw the worst at us. But when we are praying, what Paul and Barnabas and the other two cats are doing over here was not some spontaneous, what are you doing today? Nothing. Let's get together and pray. I opened up with that texting just as a, just as a, a, a sort of illustration. But the truth of the matter is, this is what they did. Because they took God serious. And my prayer is everybody in this room would take God serious. And from the first thing, when you get when God's serious, you don't say, What can I do? You know you're serious with God. When worship, prayer, and praise are a major focus in our life. Personally, in your own life, I love to drive in a car, listen to worship music, and I love to take long walks around the park. Those are the two things that really bring me close to the Lord. And I minister to the Lord one-on-one. And I pour out my heart, and I pour out my tears, and all my failures, and where I still need help. And I'm thankful for everything he's done. And I find a renewed strength of strength along with what we do on Thursday night. And when me and John and Phil get together on Sunday in the back, when me, John, and Patty get together and we pray, there's the corporate dynamic too. Amen? I'm challenging you. Come out on Thursday nights and pray with us. When you come here on Sunday, come prepared to worship Almighty God. That's why I often ask for God to remove the distractions before we pray, because we have them. Come early. Spend a couple of minutes in, in quiet contemplation on what Jesus has done, how good he is, and how much we need him. Amen? Amen. 
and watch what God does. And I'll speak more about it out of these four verses next week. Father, I thank you for everything you've done. I thank you for the word. I thank you that we now have the opportunity and we now have the empowerment that we can worship you in spirit and in truth, Father God. Help us, help me, help this church, help everybody who can hear my voice today to focus on you, God. Focus on all your promises. Focus on all your power towards us, Father God. And it's in that place of prayer and praise and tears and joy and hope and peace that we find power in Jesus' name.